0: Welcome to Brit David Podcast, as Sage Valfrey, our pastor to the next gen, brings a message from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, entitled, Death to Life. Here's Pastor Sage. Thank you very much, Kathy. If y'all would, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. So about a month or so ago, maybe a couple months, I started going through the book of Ephesians in my personal study, uh, just because I've always wanted to study it, and I figured, you know, why not do it, because i just finished the previous book I was in. So I started studying Ephesians, and it's been a blessing to me, and it also has been what we have been going through in our young adult Bible study. So uh, we've been, really, Des and I have been really enjoying that Um, Every Monday, young adults, we all meet at our house, and we've been talking through questions and just kind of uh, learning together. It's been really great. It's been, I know, nourishing for me. And so today, because my personal studies on Ephesians and my young adult Bible studies on Ephesians, I'm going to talk to you about Ephesians. Uh, Specifically, it's going to be chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Uh, Before I really start, I want to talk about some background now, if you're a young adult in here, you've already heard this. We talked about it the first day, but I'm going to breeze through it real quick just so we can fully understand what we're talking about. So the book of Ephesians isn't actually a book. It's actually a letter. It was written by this guy named Paul, uh, who you probably have heard about. He was a missionary, a great missionary and apostle back in, uh, back in the early church time. He wrote this letter while he was imprisoned in Rome. So this is a prisoner writing, which is always interesting because Paul writes with such joy and hope. And then he wrote this around 60 to 63 AD. Uh, Of course, like I said, it was written to uh, the Christians in Ephesus. Ephesus was in Asia Minor. Ephesus specifically, its background, it was a pagan city. It featured an ancient wonder of the world called the Temple of Artemis. This incredible, amazing, giant temple that was dedicated to this goddess named Artemis. I encourage you to do some research on her. It is pretty interesting. And they also had an amphitheater for about 50,000 guests, which tells you a couple things about This city, Uh, Ephesus, was very pagan. They had many gods and they had many people. In fact, Ephesus was a trade port. So there was hundreds of people coming in and out every day. This was a prime location for Paul to go and preach the gospel. And if you read uh, Acts chapter 19, Paul actually, or Luke, writes about Paul's journey to Ephesus when he spread the gospel to them. So I encourage you to do that. uh, Some homework for you if you want it. Uh, As for some uh, context for what we're going into, so we're going into chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. But just so that you know what happened beforehand, uh, Paul introduced himself, chapter 1, he introduced himself, he greeted them, he goes in, talks about God's rich blessings uh, there's three uh, that are uh, redemption, inheritance, and the Holy Spirit. He goes and talks about how he's praying for the Ephesians and then he moves into talking about Jesus. He moves from the Ephesians to Jesus and he he's exalting Jesus as this ultimate ruler over the world and also the head ruler of the church. And then he goes straight into what we're about to read. So I'm gonna go ahead and read it and we'll start going through. This is what it says in verse one of chapter two. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived, "'According to the ways of the world, "'according to the ruler of the power of the air, "'the spirit now working in the disobedient. "'We too all previously lived among them "'in our fleshly desires, "'carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. "'And we were by nature children under wrath "'as the others were also. "'But God, who is rich in mercy "'because of his great love that he had for us, "'made us alive with Christ "'even though we were dead in our trespasses.' You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you were saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from your works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Let's pray again. Lord, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you that your word edifies us, it builds us up, it grows us. Sometimes it burns us, but that's for our own growth, Lord. I pray that you'd do that today. God, I pray that you'd convict our hearts of sin. Convict those who don't know you in here to know you. And lead us all to be closer to you, Jesus. I pray that you'd guide my speech. I pray that you'd make me disappear so that they would only hear your word, Lord. It's in your son's name, amen. Uh, so before I go into it, another thing. Is anyone in here into running? Just curious, out of like a kind of for fun. I hear a lot of groans. A lot of people don't like running. I, <laughs> it's okay, I get it. I have a love-hate relationship with running. It's on and off. So I'll be on for like three weeks to a month, and then I'll be off for like six months. <laughs> it's, it's really bad. Uh, and recently, I began one of my ons with running. Uh, this past week, actually, on, I think it was Monday, Monday night, actually, I set the alarm for an hour before I usually would wake up, and I said, I'm going to go run tomorrow. I woke up. I actually, I I was pretty, I was pretty um, uh, proud I actually got up, which doesn't usually happen. I usually just snooze, and then just eventually change the alarm. But so I went, and I did something really smart. Instead of doing a small run to start out after not running for a while, I did a big run. So I went around, I live in Phoenix City off Somerville Road, and I went around by idle hour, and I came back around. So if you are familiar with Alabama, with Phoenix City area, there's this road, uh, there's this hill called Suicide Hill. Now, Desni's house is at the very top of Suicide Hill, and I wasn't really thinking straight, and I guess I went around, and I went to the bottom of it, and I said, okay, I could go back where I came, or I could go up this. Now, Suicide Hill, if you couldn't tell, it's, it's ridiculous. It's the steepest, like, tallest hill. It feels like in Alabama, probably not, but it's, it's very, very steep and very tall, and so I'm at the bottom of it, or well, I'm about uh, a quarter way up it, and I'm like, okay, let me try to run. I'm sure it's not that bad. So I start going. And at first, my stride's pretty good. It slowly became smaller, smaller steps. Eventually, I'm walking, and I felt, by, the time I, by the time I was close to the top, I was almost crawling up. It was, it was awful. In that moment, I hated running, <laughs> and I regretted everything. But so I got up there. I had my rocky moment where I made it. I was very happy. And I got up, went into my driveway, and I laid in the grass and just kind of sat there. Now, <laughs> if you'd asked me how I felt in that moment, I would give you one word, and that's dead. I felt completely dead. That's what I would have said. Uh, but the reality is I wasn't dead because I, ended, I got up and I went inside and I took a shower and I went to work. I wasn't dead. Well, today we're going to talk about how we were all really dead, like actually dead. That's what Paul starts us out with in verse one. And so that's what we're gonna go into. Uh, he really, this uh, verses one through three, uh, Paul gives us six problems that we have, six problems that we have as unbelievers. So this is before Christ. So for those of you who know Jesus now, who love Jesus, who, who've been saved, this is how you previously lived. That's how Paul words it. He says, some of you previously lived like this. So I know that's the case for me. I previously was living like this. This was previously my state. For those who don't know Jesus, this is their current state. So let's look at these six problems. Number one, as I just mentioned, we were dead in our sins. We see that in verse one. Paul said, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived. So dead, like Tim said it before, what can a dead person do? Nothing, they're dead. Absolutely nothing. A dead person is completely dead. (laughs) They can't get up. They can't make something happen for themselves. They can't save themselves. They can't resurrect themselves completely dead. That's our state. Number one, we're dead. Our second problem is in verse two. We walk as the world walks. We walk as the world is walking. Paul says, you're dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of the world. Now, this is already an issue because God is not going along with the world's, you know, the, the world is, a, you could say it's a, a current and it's taking, it's constantly moving and it's changing and shifting. God is not moving and changing and shifting with that. God is a rock and he does not change. He's immutable is what, is what we learn. He's unchangeable. So if God's not changing that, and the world is changing and we're walking according to the world, then we're not walking according to God. So another big problem there. We're walking like the world does. Romans 12 says that we should not be conformed to the world. And without Christ, that's all we know. If you don't know Jesus in here, then all you know is what the world knows. All you know is the world. You're just going down that current. It's not different. It, nothing is strange to you. This is just life. That's it. Conformed to the world. Our third problem we obey Satan. This seems pretty drastic, but this is what Paul says. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived, according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air. The ruler of the power of the air, that is Satan. That is is the adversary, Lucifer himself. So not only are we walking according to the world, but the world is also walking according to Satan. Satan is guiding them. They're walking according to his ways and what he wants them to do. Obviously, that's a big problem but that's not all the problems we have. With obeying Satan, our fourth problem is that we disobey God. Paul says that, he calls us uh, disobedience. He says, uh, this is the spirit now working in the disobedient. So those who don't know Jesus, he calls them disobedient. Disobedient to who? Well, disobedient to, to this right here, to the Bible, to God's word, to God. So while we're obeying Satan, we're disobeying God. This is another big issue. God's words hold life. They are the truth, the only truth in this world. And we are walking counter to that. We are, living, we are disobeying that and obeying Satan. Our fifth problem is found in verse three. We're feeding the flesh. We feed the flesh. We see that in, like I said, verse three, it says this. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts. So the Bible describes, when when the Bible is talking about the flesh, when you're living in the flesh, you're feeding the flesh, that is your carnal instincts, your, your physical body. So if you're saved in here, which I know most of us are, that means that God's spirit is residing in a sinful body. That's just the truth. Our bodies are sinful. That's why after we get saved, we still sin. We're continuing to sin because God's spirit is in us. He's growing us. He's shaping us. He's molding us to look more like him. He's sanctifying us, but our bodies are still sinful. That's why in the end, when we're taken up to heaven, Jesus is gonna give us a resurrected body because our current bodies, all they know is sin. I could love Jesus with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, but my body still loves sin. That's the problem. And so we as sinners in this uh, this, uh, context, we're feeding the flesh. All we do is feed the flesh. What does my flesh want? I'm gonna do that. The Bible will describe it as, in other portions of scripture, it would say, um, doing what's right in our own eyes. That's, a, that's, that's feeding the flesh. Doing, doing what you want. Or the world will say it in every movie, following your heart. That, that they'll encourage that. They'll, they'll push you to do that. Follow your heart. Follow your heart, no matter where it takes you. And they don't care where it takes you. They just think, if you're happy, that's all that matters. That's, that's not what we're living. We're not living for our personal happiness. And... Truthfully, if we were, then we wouldn't, be, <laughs> we wouldn't be looking into the world because the world does not contain real happiness. We have true joy in Jesus, but yet we reject him. In the world, we get this temporary happiness that goes away and leaves us feeling empty. And the only way we feel to fill that back up is to find more temporary happiness in the world. It's this constant, endless, terrible process. The sixth problem that we have, and this is a big one, is at the end of verse 3. Paul says, we were carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. So our sixth problem is that we're under God's wrath, under his wrath. See, God is going to judge those who've rejected him. That's just the truth, that's what we see. God is going to do that. His wrath is gonna be poured out onto them. If they reject him until the end, until he comes, until they're gone, that's the truth. And so if we are sinners, if we're living in our flesh, if we're disobeying God, we're obeying Satan, we're dead in our sins, then we're children under wrath. We're children under his wrath, being crushed by it like this heavy, heavy weight. This is a really dark picture. And Paul paints it so dark because the next part makes, it, it makes the next part look even better. It shows us, it opens our eyes to how, how good salvation is. See, we were completely hopeless, And any unbeliever rejecting Christ in hopes that salvation will come for himself, out of himself, that person is hopeless. There's nothing there. But there's a solution. Paul shows us a solution in in verse four. He starts with these two amazing words, but God. But God, it it represents this this literal divine intervention. God's intervening into that story. You're dead, you're doing nothing but sinning, living for yourself, but God. So the question I ask is, well, what does that matter? Why does it matter that, that God is intervening? What is God that I'm not, I'd say, as a sinner? Well, God is the opposite of everything that we are. Number one, uh, and, and all that's seen in Jesus, in, in his life, and the way that he lived. Number one, Jesus was and is alive. While we're dead in our trespasses and sins, Jesus, not only did he live in righteousness, never sinning, perfect and blameless, but also, after Jesus physically died, Jesus physically, bodily resurrected. Jesus is today alive. That's, a, that's the, the biggest, the most amazing part of this is that while we're dead in our sins, Jesus is still alive. And then look at the rest of this. Number two, while we're walking according to the world, Jesus walked counter to the world. Look at, look at the gospel. We're going through Luke right now. Tim's preaching through it on Sunday mornings. And we're learning about Jesus's life and ministry and you see, Jesus is never, everyone's not always in agreement with Jesus, like, yeah, that's right, Jesus has got it. In fact, most of the time, people are yelling at him, cursing him, afraid of him, telling him to go away because Jesus was countercultural. Jesus, Jesus was not doing what the world wanted him to do. He was doing the opposite. While the world wants to live for ourselves, Jesus was living for God. Jesus was thinking of eternal things. Jesus was seeking out those that the world was oppressing and, and rejecting, Jesus would seek out the woman at the well, the Samaritan that, that was adulterous. Jesus sought her out in love. This was countercultural. A rabbi, a Jewish rabbi seeking out the Samaritan, and then a Samaritan woman, and then a Samaritan woman who had multiple husbands and wasn't with one of her husbands at the moment. Like, <laughs> that's a completely countercultural. That's Jesus. Number three, Jesus, he disobeyed Satan. So we see, we're obeying Satan, we're doing everything that Satan wants, but what did Jesus do? Well, Satan tried three times to to get him to do what he wanted, and it didn't work. Jesus, every time, turned to God's word instead. He rejected Satan, he disobeyed Satan. He said, "I'm I'm not gonna listen to you. I'm not gonna listen to you, deceiver. Jesus is disobeying Satan. And Satan was trying really hard he tried really hard to, to, to make him slip, to make him slip up, to make him fall into sin. Jesus, or Satan tried to make Jesus his own. But Jesus is that strong rock, that, that unmoving rock. And he stayed. While Jesus was disobeying Satan, and we were obeying Satan, we were disobeying God, Jesus. He obeyed his father. We see that all throughout, especially if you read the book of John, where, where John is focusing on Jesus' um, uh, godhood really, and he's really focusing, like he, you see all of those prayers in John 17, you see that a lot, and you see Jesus' focus. I am I'm doing as my father says. He is submitting to his father's will, and this wasn't an easy task, especially for Jesus. This task wasn't just rejecting himself for his whole life. This task led him to submit to God to the point of death, but not just death, but death on a cross. The scourging beforehand as well, Jesus submitted to his father until death because he knew. He knew that that would bring us salvation and that is what the father wanted. And so he obeyed. Number five, while we were feeding the flesh, Jesus was feeding his spirit. We see that a lot too, where Jesus was always constantly pouring out to these crowds, preaching and teaching and, and seeking out individuals and literally saving them and doing these amazing miracles. Jesus was constantly pouring out. I don't know if you ever, if you ever read that and notice that. It's, it's constant. But there's times where you see these little breaks where it says that Jesus would retreat to a mountain. He'd retreat to the side, away from the crowd. And you know what Jesus would do? Jesus would pray. He was praying to his father. This was Jesus feeding the flesh, or not sorry, feeding the spirit. Jesus was feeding his spirit in that moment, getting that spiritual strength. He wasn't feeding his flesh, doing what his flesh wanted. He rejected his flesh. He let his flesh starve. But then he continued to feed the spirit. His spirit never starved, he was constantly feeding it. And number six, while we are children under wrath, Jesus is the wrath giver. See that in the end times. Jesus isn't the one that's under any, any wrath. and said Jesus is the one on the throne and he's the one judging us. Jesus is the wrath giver. So is this, is this but God important? It's so important. It's the most important thing for you to ever hear that this but God, God stepped into the play. God stepped in, he intervened. Yes, this is important. And then Paul goes on to give us two more things about Jesus. Two more things that are really important in verse four. He says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us. So those two things add on to it. Not only is Jesus all those things, the opposite of us, but Jesus is rich in mercy and Jesus loves us greatly. He's rich in mercy, he's wealthy in mercy and he loves us so greatly. See, if our God was not merciful, if our God was not loving, we would have a cynical God that would let us die under our sins. He wouldn't seek to save us. He'd leave us. Leave us in the dirt, truthfully where we deserve to be. But our God is merciful. I love, love, love that song and I'm so glad that Sean got to do it today. Uh, Our sins are so many. Our sins are so many. His mercy is more. Jesus' mercy is more. I have to remind myself that. Sometimes as I fall into these sinful cycles sometimes, I have to wake up and I, and, and I get so frustrated with myself thinking what have I done? Where, where have I led myself to be? I don't deserve anything good and then I stop and I remember my sins are so many but God's mercy is more, there's more. And then the second part of that is that he loves us. God loves us, It doesn't make sense. Why would he love us? God loves us. That's a good truth. And so we see from that, we see God is rich in mercy. We see he loves us greatly. We see he's the opposite of who we are. And he doesn't just leave us there. Now we see our lifting up. This is the beginning of our lifting up in verse four. After he says, uh, but God who is rich in mercy because, because of his great love that he had for us, he says this, God made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. God made us alive in Christ. So the first part of our lifting up is that. He makes us alive. This is salvation. This is why when you see someone get baptized back here, they go down, that is their old self dying, and then they're raised to life. They're made alive. Jesus is making us alive. Of course, it's not that baptism that's saving them. That's a a profession of what's going on in the inside. We are spiritually dead, and then Jesus makes us alive. These, just like Lazarus, four days dead in the tomb, came out alive. It doesn't make sense. Jesus does that, he saves us. This is a really cool part though. He doesn't just make us alive, but also he makes us alive with Christ. This is a big difference than just us being alive. It's okay, what do I do now? We're with Christ. To be made alive with Christ is to live a life with Christ, guiding you, growing you, shaping you, molding you, teaching you, blessing you, sanctifying you. He didn't just make us alive. We're alive with Jesus. So if you're a believer, God's spirit is in you. God's, Jesus, he is in you and he is shaping you. He's molding you, he's growing you. I get so much comfort in that when I'm going through difficult times, when I'm going through my own failures or whatever it is, when things just don't make sense. I remember, I'm a Christian. I've given my life to Jesus. Jesus has saved me. That means his spirit is in me. And that means all of this is for my good and his glory. What do I have to worry about? Why, why should I stress? God's spirit is in me. He's, mul- He's growing me through this. I'm thankful for it now. I've come to the point where I can look at the hard times. I'm looking when things are getting rough and I don't understand things. And I remember God's growing me through this and I'm thankful for them. We need to be thankful for those good times. God's growing us through them. Join us tomorrow as Pastor Sage continues this great message from Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 10. Pastor Sage would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is church office at Britdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Brit David Podcast.